Uh, it's about 21 years ago. I was relatively new here, more than relatively new. Um, and I, I was out at this time of year at the mall, and I saw a beautiful uh, decoration. It was a lamb with, with a purple collar. It was, it was a Passover lamb. But it was at a store um, that I usually can't buy anything because it's expensive. And so I passed over that, that decoration. I think it, it was probably like $80 or something like that. And it was, you know, about yay big. I thought, well, we'll find another one somewhere else. I'm still looking. Even, even places where you would, you would suspect, oh, they're Christian companies. They should have a lamb. No. We've got bunnies. We've got chicks. We've got eggs. No bunnies. I mean, no lambs. No lambs. Now, I like bunnies. I like bunnies. In fact, when, when I graduated over at University of Chester and we went and celebrated that night, I had, I had a rabbit pie. I like, I like bunnies. I like bunnies. Um, I like eggs. I like them in the morning. I'm not opposed to those uh, societal symbols, you know, when it comes to Easter. And we're going to see a lot of them coming this week. They, they, we have converted them to be thinking about resurrection. They're, they're symbols of life and springtime. Um, but I have to admit to you, I'm still looking for the lamb. And it's hard to come by. Um, now, yes, I could go find stuffed lambs and, you know, that kind of thing. But I want, I want a Passover lamb. Now, I say that and I realize, now don't go start shopping for me, okay? <laughs> I'll, end up with, with more, I'll end up with a whole flock and I don't, <laughs> don't need that. Um, this is just in the illustration. Now, when we've come through the, the plagues upon Egypt and we recognize that frogs and locusts and such are symbols of the society's longing and desire for life, for a, a fertile life, for a good life. Well, I'm struggling just a, just a wee bit with bunnies and eggs and chicks. And like, wow, that sounds like Egypt. Can you imagine a plague of chicks? It sounds like the birds or something. Just think. Just, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we're anathema, we're boycotting, or anything like that. I'm just trying to, to get us to be aware, be, be sensitive as to what the societal norms are and what societal expectations are and the values that they might be attaching to those symbols could be radically different than the, uh, uh, the value that you're attaching to that symbol, if you're, if you're attaching anything except fun and candy. But the lamb... This passage, as we read, is indeed about the Passover lamb, and it is, it is this time of year that uh, Passover will be celebrated. Uh, it is on the 14th day of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar, which is coming up. And um, 
It's important. In, in the old days when I was a, a, a kid and we had network television, um, most often every year you would have the Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments film shown at this time of year because it's Passover. This is the record. This is a turning point in redemptive history. This is a turning point in God's movement of the seed of Abraham becoming a nation. This is, this is amazing. We've been through the defeat of the gods of Egypt, chapters 7 through 11. We've been through this, and what has it produced? On the outside, it looks as if it actually has worsened things. Pharaoh's heart continues to get hardened. The people of God are still in bondage. They're still suffering. Like, what good is it for God to be doing all these signs and wonders? And now we come to this final sign and wonder, the destroyer of the firstborn. That sounds just terrible, doesn't it? The destroyer of the firstborn has been anticipated all along. In Exodus chapter 4, the Lord told Moses that this is likely what will come about. Um, Exodus 4 verse 22, you'll say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. I say to you, let my son go that he might serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, I'll kill your firstborn son. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, skin for skin. And now we read that it is indeed fulfilled in chapter 12, verses 29 to 32. At midnight, the Lord appeared. This, this plague is different than any of the other plagues, I suppose in several ways. Uh, but the first is that there's no mediator between God and man. There's no Moses and Aaron standing there mediating the, the sign or the wonder. There's no staff raised. There's no words spoken directly to Pharaoh. It is, it is the presence of the Lord. The Lord personally descends, entering Egypt to be with His people, the Hebrews, and to judge the Egyptians. Now catch this, back up in chapter, four, uh, chapter 11, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. The Lord says, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And that's repeated in chapter 12 and verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt at night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Wow. This is God's presence. God's mighty presence. Now, the death of the firstborn might, might seem pretty severe to us, and indeed it is severe, but recognize that God is a God of justice. And this is precisely the way that God, uh, Pharaoh treated God's firstborn. Did he not try to euthanize and anathetize and infanticize the Hebrews? They did not use ethnic cleansing to rid the land of the Hebrew boy childs? Yeah. And God is just, and so the same wickedness of Pharaoh will come back on him. By the measure that you judge, you will be judged. And God is just. And it's not merely Pharaoh. It's not 
Pharaoh alone who was involved in this ethnic cleansing and in this oppression of the Hebrews. In chapter 1, twice, verse 9 and verse 22, Pharaoh employs the people, the nation of Egypt. The people are involved. The people are engaged in this oppression. There is no one righteous, no, not one, none who is innocent. But notice, yeah, the Israelites, the Hebrews are the ones oppressed, but God is just and God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't show favoritism. The last sign and wonder that we have here, all of the households are warned. The Egyptians and the Hebrews. All are warned of the coming presence of the Lord. In chapter 12, verse 22, uh, the instruction is, is, is repeated. Moses repeats the instruction to the elders, and the elders then communicate it to, to the peoples of the Hebrews. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. He, he's told this to the Hebrews. Don't go outside. Implication? You won't be protected from the presence of the Lord. Don't go outside. Even the Hebrews are warned about this. God doesn't show favoritism. The same standard is for every people, for every person. Every Egyptian house has experienced death, and so has every Hebrew household experienced death. If not the death of the firstborn of the household, then the lamb. Every household has experienced death, the same standard for all. Now, when we pause to consider this, we recognize the Hebrews have a different problem. It used to be, how are we going to get away from Pharaoh? How we get out from under this oppression? And now, how can we be safe in the presence of God? No partiality. Don't go out of the house. Your ethnicity won't protect you. Your lineage won't protect you. Your parentage won't protect you. Your morals will not protect you. Your oppressed condition and state, your being a victim, will not protect you in the presence of the Lord. That, that, that is quite a statement in today's woke society. A liberation theology. Your oppressedness doesn't make you of any more value. It is God's standard. Don't go out of the house. We all have to meet God. We all, in the end, will come face to face with this God of Exodus 12. And the Word of God, as we've seen in Pharaoh, cannot be repeatedly refused, rejected. In the end, you still will meet with God. 
and your refusals have offended him to this point of finality. God is a God of justice, but he is indeed a God of mercy. The real issue here is that unprotected, unsheltered, uncovered humanity cannot stand in the presence of the Lord, the judge of all the earth. Too much stuff on these special worship days in my tucked away in here. Now this one I have to move because it's on the communion table and we'll just move it out of the way. In fact, let's just take everything out. <laughs> okay. No wonder I get lost. You know, I got so many instructions in here. Which one am I supposed to be on? This is the sermon sheet? Yeah, okay. God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. I need him to be merciful to me right now. What? What can save you from the presence of the Lord? Habakkuk 3.2 says, In wrath, remember mercy. You call out to him for mercy. Who, who can save you? What can save you? And it's only God himself that is able to demonstrate mercy. And he does this in the providing, the offering of a covering so that he might pass over and maintain his justice and still show his mercy. Don't forget the, the great forbearance and patience of the Lord. We haven't come to this final sign and wonder quickly. It's been seasons. Agricultural seasons have passed and God patiently demonstrating his strong hand to Pharaoh, his strong hand to the Egyptians, his, his strong hand to the Hebrews, that they would know, and this is repeated throughout the whole narrative, that they would know, I am the Lord, says the Lord. It's about knowing God. This God is indeed a patient God. The riches of his kindness and forbearance, his patience, is meant to lead us to repentance. In Acts 17, Paul is preaching in Athens, and he says, God overlooked the times of ignorance. He's patient. Peter, in 2 Peter 3.9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, think about this great forbearance of God, a demonstration of His patient mercy, giving you time to repent. Even when the, the fullness of sin has, has reached its culmination, the justice of God is at hand, God now still offers a covering, his mercy. And it, it, it seems strange. A little lamb of the goats or the sheeps, but a little lamb, a yearling, 
That's it? This awesome presence of the Lord is averted by a lamb? In fact, the blood of a lamb, a goat, can take your place and be your substitute, stand in the gap and cover you from the justice, the holiness, the presence of the Lord. He is also a God of holiness. Justice, mercy, holiness. This, this yearling must meet God's standards. The lamb, as we read, is to be without blemish. A male, a year old, from the sheep or the goats. But we're, we don't go about this quickly. You make the selection on the 10th day of the month and you, you wait until the 14th day before you prepare it for the meal. Four days. I mean, you've got 10 days since the announcement to be looking over the flock, looking over the herd. Well, which ones are, which ones are a year old and which ones are looking healthy and strong and vital? And on that 10th day, then you finally narrow it down to your selection. You still have four days to watch. Look for any abnormality or blemish. You need to ensure that this lamb is without defect and you will keep it distinct from the rest of the flock. Separate, holy itself. Oh, how hastily do we rush into the worship of the Lord unprepared, last minute, not thinking about what we're bringing as an offering to Him? God has built into our time a way to prepare for His presence. Well, finally that 14th day comes and you'll take the knife blade and you'll hold the head of the lamb and your hand upon that lamb identifying with the lamb. And the knife goes to the throat and the throat is slit and the blood spills, but no, 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 no. You don't spill that blood on the ground. You spill it into a basin. This is the holiness of God. And from that basin, you take a, a hyssop branch and you dab it into that, that blood and you daub it onto the doorframe of your house. This is the holiness of our God. And once the blood is applied, you prepare for the meal. You're going to roast it, not boil it. And no pate, no raw meat here. Roast it. This, this lamb must go through the fire. It's an offering. The roasting is, is part of that. It must go pass through the fire. And you'll do the whole of the lamb, not just parts, the, the whole of the lamb. Not a portion, and not even a 
broken bone. It must be whole, complete, intact. In, in, in fact, whatever can't be eaten by morning time, there will be no leftovers. The, the remaining will be burnt up in the Holocaust fire. The whole thing consumed. No leftovers. You can't leave it behind. There's no refrigeration. The spotless lamb, the shed blood, the fire to purge. No broken bone, complete and whole. These are pictures of the holiness of God. His expectations of his creation, of his people. And when you apply the blood to your doorframe, you, you do it by faith. You have seen what he has done in the past. You've heard the word about what's next. You believe the word and you act upon it. And you do as the Lord has said. Now, it's not, as if, it's not as if God himself actually needed the blood on the door to identify who's in there. I mean, he's done this since plague number four, right? He's made a distinction already between the Jews and the Hebrews. He, he doesn't need the blood to tell him who's his. He knows who's his. The, the text says this is a sign for you. Put the blood on the door for you. This is a, an exercise of your faith, a manifestation, a demonstration. You trust him. You believe his word. And his word is coming. And the Lord says, he, doesn't, he does not say, when I see you, I'll pass over. He says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. He knows who you are. But we already know it doesn't matter who you are, your background, your morals, your situation in life. We all must one day come into the presence of God all at the same standard. And none of us can stand. God in His mercy has provided the Lamb and he's a holy God. He's a God of a new beginning. Here, you notice in, in verse 2, he says, this is now your first month of the new year. And later on, he'll say, verse 14, this is your memorial day. Their, their holidays were to be oriented around God and his activities not just a blind patriotism. In, in fact, in, in verse 3, this is the, the first time that, that the people of God, that Israel, is called a congregation. It's, it's in the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same word, ekklesia, assembly. This is the first time that the Hebrews are identified as a real, viable 
congregation, an assembly. Up until now, they're just a ragtag group of nomadic tribespeople. Seed of Abraham, but wanderers, sojourners. And now God is making something new, making a new people and beginning a, a new day. So with great anticipation of this new beginning, there's no time to wait for the rising of bread dough. And that, that just takes too much time. I, I, I had, in, in, in years past, I thought, oh, unleavened bread. Well, who cares? Sweet breads. I mean, they don't have to rise. You don't have to wait for them to rise. Pumpkin bread, apple bread, banana bread with chocolate chips. And then I, and then I learned by the chemists in, in the house that baking soda and baking powder are leavening agents. So even, even those sweet breads would be pretty flat without a little leaven. Now, there's ways we can work around it. You know, you whip the egg to the meringue, you know, and make it fluffy. But the, the issue here is about quickness, about speed. You're going to go home for the, this Passover meal, but this time you're not going to sit in the easy chair while the aroma is wafting and you're salivating, waiting for to get called to the table. You're not going to be putting on your slippers or your lounge pants today. You're going you're to put on your work clothes. You're going to leave your sandals on. You're going to sit on the edge of the seat with staff in your hand, ready. Yeah, it's the evening meal, but it may as well be cereal at the breakfast table because you're up and ready to go. It's a new day beginning. And you've been called to a pilgrim feast to walk with the Lord. Get up and go when He says, go. Now, I know we think of leaven as sin, but that, that doesn't, that's not in the Old Testament, and that's not in this passage. The idea of sin and leaven doesn't come until Jesus makes this identification. And then Paul makes the identification in 1 Corinthians 5, and, and the leaven there, the leaven there isn't, isn't about leaven in the bread. It's about the person among you who's rebellious and hard of heart. And he says, get rid of the leaven among you. Whoa. Yeah. That's how serious is the Lord's table. You know, when you read John's account of the meal, what we call the Last Supper, what does he do before he institutes the Lord's Supper? Hey, Judas, why don't you get out of here? Hey, Judas, why don't you go do what you're meant to do? He gets rid of the leaven before he institutes the Lord's table. Hmm. That's something to ponder. Actually, the word loaf that he uses in the New Testament that Jesus uses is the word artos. It, it's this kind of loaf. It's really quite interesting, quite fascinating. It's a, it's a rabbit hole to go down, but we won't, oh, speaking of rabbits, we won't go there. So, it's a new beginning. Are you ready for a new beginning? I am. I'm, I'm ready all the time, Lord. It's Paul. It's Paul's aspiration. Paul's admonition. 
in Philippians 4, forgetting what lies behind and grasping forward what lays ahead. To the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, moving forward, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead. Your past is not to be defined by the failures, by the oppressions. That's not your identity. Identity politics is not biblical. Identity in Christ, union in Christ, that's your identity. The old is gone and the new is come. All who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. Now, I know I w- we wish this was instantaneous. God, in his infinite wisdom, has made this process. The beginning starts by applying the blood of the Lamb to the door of your life, girding up yourself, ready for action, staff in hand, and walking with him step by step, day by day, moment by moment, degree by degree, and plodding on until he brings us all the way home into the place of rest. Our God is just. Our God is merciful. Our God is holy. Our God is doing something new. And our God is a God of provision. He is indeed our provider. We've seen that the contest of the firstborn was anticipated. God is duking it out with the gods of Egypt, and Pharaoh thought he was one of them. And so we have also seen in the Scriptures the anticipation of a lamb, the provision of a lamb. And it goes way back to Genesis 4, when Abel offers from the first of his flock an offering of worship unto the Lord. I suppose we could go back even further when God sacrificed some kind of animal and made skins to cover Adam and Eve. No, this has been anticipated. A lamb? Yeah. Simple little lamb. By the time we get to Abraham, Abraham is taught a tremendous lesson. The Lord calls to Abraham and said, Abraham, you know the promises that I made to you, and yeah, you tried to circumvent it and rush and get in a hurry, and now we got Ishmael on the, on the spot, but your, your only son, your only begotten son, the son of calling, the son of purpose, the seed through which Messiah will come is Isaac. Now I want you to take Isaac and offer him up to me as a sacrifice. What? Yep. Okay. You can't get inside, but we're wondering, Lord, you, you made the promise. Yeah, I goofed up. I tried to get ahead of you. I got in a hurry, got in a rush. We ended up with Ishmael, but you had a way, and miraculously you, you provided a son in Isaac. If you did that, you can figure this out too. In fact, you probably already have. I mean, I'm just 
thinking what's going on in Abraham's mind as he and Isaac are walking to the mount and they're carrying the wood and the knife and Isaac is, is very intelligent. And Abraham, hey, Dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham's mulling this over and he says, God will provide. And Abraham is, is committed all the way. Abraham knows that he's, he can't stand in the presence of God. He, he knows that he's not worthy to be in the presence of God. He knows his own faults and his own failures, and he knows that blood is demanded of him. He knows this. Life for life. Blood for blood. And he raises the knife and the Lord says, Abraham, stop. You've trusted me all the way. You've given everything over to me. You've trusted my word. You've obeyed my word. There's a ram in the thicket. God will provide. It's anticipated in Isaiah 53. I loved the way that Autumn's testimony put it. I am the sheep and he is the shepherd. Isaiah 53 depicts this. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him. On him? It's the servant the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. It's always been a lamb. And it always will be a lamb. And John the Baptist is standing, doing his work, baptizing people into the Jordan River for, for repentance, to anticipate the coming of Messiah. And here, here his cousin comes. Here comes cousin Jesus. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God. John's Gospel goes on poignantly in John chapter 19, a couple of verses there, he says, it's the day of the preparation of Passover. It's the sixth hour. And the Jews said, behold your king. Uh, Jesus is standing and being on trial. And, and the Jews, uh, he, uh, Pilate says to the Jews, behold your king. You hailed him king on Palm Sunday. Triumphantly coming into Jerusalem. Here he is. And they say, away with him. Crucify him. Wow. They selected their king, and now they slay their king. Well, verse chapter 19 goes on. So it's getting late in the day, and the religious leaders want to be able to eat Passover, and they need to get rid done with the bodies. So they say, can you, can you go have the legs broken? And the Roman officials agree, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus, the two criminals on his, each side. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs to fulfill Scripture. Not a bone will be broken. 
Jesus is the Holy Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb of the Lord. And he died in direct fulfillment of all those little lambs that anticipated the real Lamb of God who comes to take the sin of the world. And in Revelation 5, we will join the heavenly hosts. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. To him be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb. Today we commemorate Palm Sunday, the day Jesus rode astride a donkey, humbly entering Jerusalem to the praise and exaltation of the crowds. And in just a few days, it will be Passover with his disciples, selected on the 10th day and slain on the 14th. Wow. I mean, it's that close. He's killed as the true and the final Passover liberating you from the bondage of death. The wages of sin is death. Liberated from bondage to death and bring you to a new beginning, a new creation. The old gone, the new come. Yes, objectively we're saved only by the blood of the Lamb by the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins. But friend, that blood now subjectively must be received and applied to the doorframe of your life. Will you hear His word and will you obey His word and take all that God is for you in His only Son the Lamb of God. You might say to yourself, oh, that's fine. But it was only for the firstborn. I'm not that good. I'm not first of anything. The Lamb was offered, the firstborn representing the entire household. And everyone, everyone, in the household was able to partake of the Lamb so that we all might be in the household of the firstborn of God. Friend, would you come to Him now? You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. It's only by the blood of the Lamb that we have value and worth and that the holy presence of God is able to cover over you because you're covered by the Lamb. So, God, we do come and we ask that your Spirit would move among us, work among us, that as we do worship Jesus today, it wouldn't just be words, lips on our mouth, that in the hustle and bustle of getting ready for a Sunday and papers falling out of our Bibles and 
whatever else we wouldn't miss. It's only by the blood of the Lamb. And all our sin and all our shame and all our guilt is covered. So may we receive the forgiveness, the fellowship that is offered in Him. May we live out the forgiveness and fellowship that has been extended to us that we might extend it to others. God, as we walk the way of the cross this week, may we be consumed with all that you are for us in Jesus. Amen.